The scripture is from Exodus chapter 32, verses 1 through 14. When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered themselves together to Aaron and said to him, Up, make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. So Aaron said to them, Take off the rings of gold that are in the ears of your wives, your sons, and your daughters, and bring them to me. So all the people took off the rings of gold that were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. And he received the gold from their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool and made a golden calf. And they said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made a proclamation and said, Tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord. And they rose up early the next day and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. And the Lord said to Moses, Go down for your people whom you brought up out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly out of the way that I commanded them. They have made for themselves a golden calf and have worshipped it and sacrificed to it and said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And the Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people, and behold, it is a stiff-necked people. Now therefore, let me alone, that my wrath may burn hot against them, and I may consume them, in order that I may make a great nation of you. But Moses implored the Lord his God and said, O Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people, whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians say, with evil intent did he bring them out to kill them in the mountains and to consume them from the face of the earth. Turn from your burning anger and relent from this disaster against your people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants, to whom you swore by your own self and said to them, I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven, and all this land that I have promised I will give to your offspring, and they shall inherit it forever. And the Lord relented from the disaster that he had spoken of bringing on his people. This is the word of the Lord. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we come before your holy throne. Lord, let your word speak to us. Use me as your mouthpiece, that I, that I may speak your words and your truth. And I pray for the people of ACC that their hearts and ears may be open so that you would be glorified, that these words would take effect in their hearts and that you would change them. Lord, Father, slowly change us to your image, to your son, Jesus Christ. May we give you all the praise and glory, Father. May we realize that you are here in the midst of us and that you are feeding us with your word. I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We continue with our series in the book of Exodus. And last week we went over the Ten Commandments. That was chapter 20. And now we are hopping over to chapter 32. Not because 20 and 32 are boring, but we do have to make some decisions. And we thought 
um, it was best if we went from the Ten Commandments all the way to the Golden Calf. Um, because we just thought it would be good. There's not a deep reason behind it. But important things did happen in between those times. Because that time is very important. Because after the Israelites were delivered from Egypt, they began this process of building a great nation. God was beginning to show Israel what kind of city he was going to make them. And he was telling them what kind of rules they were going to obey. That the Ten Commandments are not just a guide for us to follow, per se. They are the rules of a part of a bigger picture. They're part of the civil rules, the moral rules. They're, they're part of all these type of rules. Because it's a bitter pic, bigger picture of what God was doing with Israel. He was establishing a great city with the people. A great city. Uh, uh, with laws that respected both mankind and womankind. Uh, laws that respected animals. Laws that respected nature. Laws that respected everything around them. And God promised that this city was going to be amazing. That other nations were going to look at this city and praise God. This is what God and Moses are talking about from chapters 20 to 32. God is promising, God had promised them that he was going to make Israel a great nation. And so they were meeting up here at this summit. But then at chapter 32 is when things go awry. It's when they create an idol. And so this chapter is primarily deals with that creation of that idol and what, and uh, creation of that idol. And what is this idol? Well, it's this Christian concept called idolatry. It's the worship of idols. And here today we are going to learn how, what, idol worship, what idol worship looks like and how it's evil and how we are to solve the problem of idol worship. So first off, what is idolatry? Idolatry in the strictest sense, strictest sense, I'm having a tough time speaking today. In the strictest sense is merely worshiping a statue. That's what idol worship is. Now, as Americans, we don't really struggle with worshiping statues, not necessarily. But if you go all around the world, every nation, every country still worships statues and idols. So it's very, very prevalent for this world, and this message is still important for them today. But I'm going to be focusing on us as Americans. Do we struggle with the problem of idolatry? John Calvin says, every one of us is, even from his mother's womb, a master craftsman of idols. That means Americans are not exempt from this problem of idolatry. So if it's not just worshiping statues, what exactly is idolatry? See, idolatry is a theme that will come up again and again in the Bible, and it is not a problem that has been resolved even today. What is idolatry? Exodus 32 goes to the root cause of idolatry and what the real problem is and what people truly struggle with. As we look at Exodus chapter 32, verse 1, the scene begins with Moses still up on the mountain. And it says, when people saw that the Moses delayed to come down from the mountain. So Moses has been up there and he has not yet come down and the people begin to freak out. 
And remember what Moses was doing. He was planning something. And so as he was planning something, this is when the people became antsy. And then this is when the people got up and they went up to Aaron and said, we don't know what has happened to Moses. We don't know what has happened to God. Make for us an idol. So Aaron gets up. He goes, all right, give me all your gold and I will create this cow, this calf for you. Now, at this point, we should be reading this narrative and thinking, what in the world is happening? Where did they get this idea to build a cow? Is God a cow? Did God ever say he looked like a cow? It's quite offensive, isn't it? If you guys decided to make a statue of me, I would be deeply offended if you made an armadillo. Why an armadillo? I don't know. So we should stop at this moment and ponder, why is it that Israel, the Israelites created this calf? Well, we know right away why uh, it is. Because if you look at the ancient Near Eastern kingdoms, they all thought of cows as deity. So simply put, they were just borrowing from their neighbors. That's all that they were doing. They said God had promised to become uh, for us to become a powerful nation, and God is delaying, so this is what we're going to do. We're going to make, we're going to look like the other countries, because that is how power is obtained. Now, a lot of what you're hearing now, I got from my brother Cliff Means, uh, a post is coming out, which you should all read, but he does say something significant, I mean, he's right here, he's like a theologian, this great theologian he does say something quite interesting in which we have to, we need to slow down and understand, and this is the root of what idolatry is. Sin, and we can replace that with idolatry, sin is when we accept something from Satan that God already wants to give us, but by Satan's rules, and before the time God wants to give it to us. Right? God had promised Israel that they were going to become a great nation. God had promised that they were going to thrive. God had promised that they were, he was going to take care of them, but Israel could not wait. And so they went and they did it themselves. They said, this is how the world works. We need the world's power, not God's power. And so what idolatry is at its core essence, it's making God into our own image. We're taking God and making him into our own idea of power, of what should be done in this world. It is our own idea of taking the holy God and saying, God, you need to be this way. The great French Enlightenment thinker Voltaire has said this. In the beginning, God created man in his own image, and man has been trying to repay the favor ever since. And it's true. We can't trust a God who does it his way because we don't understand it. But God, if you did it this way, if you gave me a million dollars, if you gave me a lot of power, if you made me president of the United States, then I can do things for the kingdom. So Americans definitely struggle with idolatry. It's because we do not trust in the power of God, but we trust in other things for our security and our peace. 
Origen, another third century theologian, says this. He says, what each one honors before all else, what before all things he admires and loves, this for him is a God. So what makes this difficult for us? Because it's not necessarily bad things that become idols. Is cow, are cows evil? No, they're delicious. Just kidding, vegetarian, sorry. Um, cows in themselves are not evil, but they can become an idol and we turn them something into something evil. Here's where it strikes for us, jobs. Is having a job evil? No. But if it becomes an idol, if we place our security and trust in our job, yes, it becomes an idol. Our families, beautiful things. Our families can become idols when we love them too much or we love them before God. Money. Money is a wonderful thing. It does a lot of things for our societies. It can help people. But once it becomes our ultimate thing, it becomes an idol. Sex. It's another beautiful and wonderful thing that God has given us. But when we praise it up to the point where it is God, it becomes something evil, something destructive. And how does God react to our worship of idols? And it's important to notice this. Because when God sees us worshiping idols, he does not idly stand by, but he has feeling towards our idol-worshiping ways. This is what he says in verse 10. He tells Moses everything that's going on below because Moses doesn't know. But in verse 10, he says, now, therefore, let me alone. He tells Moses, leave me alone that my wrath may burn hot against them and I may consume them in order that I may make a great nation of you. God wants to destroy everybody. He hates idol worship. He hates it when we worship idols. God does not say, ah, yeah, he made a mistake. Or she made a mistake. She slipped up. God hates it. His wrath burns against it. And for us, it's, it's, it's so interesting enough that we should delve in to see why does it make God so mad. For some of us, we, we just say, oh, it makes God mad. Okay, I won't do it anymore. But no, we have to understand why it makes God so angry and so mad. God gets angry at our idol worship because he knows eventually the idol will win out. He knows that whatever you worship equal to him or above him, it will win out and it will consume your heart. Listen to what Aaron says. When Aaron constructs the calf, what does he say? Who does he believe this calf is? He says, it's Yahweh. He says, let us make an idol. This is for God. We're doing this for the Lord. We're doing for the for God. And how do the people respond? They say in verse 4, these are your gods. It's no longer just one single God. They are now beginning to worship multiple gods. Verse 4, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. God and this calf are now being credited with saving them. For many of us, when we think about our idols, we, to some extent, believe those things. That it is money that will ultimately save us. It is family. It is health that will ultimately save us. I mean, I still believe in God, 
but yet we kind of share these themes where, but I equally believe in the power of wealth and power. It begins to creep in. And God understands how we are made and how we are designed. And God does not want any of that. He wants all his people just to worship him and only love him. Now, is that a fair thing to ask? And if we read the book of Exodus, we can say, yes, it's a very fair thing to ask. Because what we miss in Exodus 24 is this. There was a wedding ceremony between God and the Israelites in which a covenant was made. And God says, will I be your only God? And they said, yes. And God says, I then will be your God forever. And it was this wedding ceremony that took place. And so I ask you, is it fair for me to ask of my wife who made the same vows to only love me? You would say yes. Because vows were made. And God has brought you into this covenant and he says only worship me. Now for some of you, you may not be Christian. And you may think, okay, but... Why is God being so harsh in this matter? Shouldn't God allow everyone just to love anyone who they want? Here in chapter 32, I think there becomes, what becomes revealed is that there is a deeper reason of why God wants us to worship only him. God as the designer of the world and God as the designer of all human beings understand how human beings work. He made human beings to be worshiping creatures. Every single one is a worshiping creature. It's not, it's not if, you will, if you will find a religion. It is which religion you will choose to follow. That is the fundamental question for everyone. Everyone worships someone or something. Everybody. It's not just the Christian thing. It's everything. Everyone worships something. And when you worship that thing, you become that thing. That is how we're made. When we worship something, we become that thing. And we do all, everything in our power to become like that person or to become like that thing. It's embedded us in a very early age. I remember Michael Jordan, my ultimate hero. Amazing. He could play basketball so well. And I remember thinking, he is my hero. I need to become exactly like him. And so I would go to my mom and say, you need to buy me these $150 shoes because Michael Jordan wears these shoes. And all of a sudden, my gear became what? I wore baggy basketball shorts or I wore jerseys. I, didn't even, I wasn't even good at basketball. But I wore these things and it was just in me. I just began to emulate everything that Michael Jordan did. And of course, of course, and the world knows this, that we're worshiping creatures. What was the whole campaign behind Michael Jordan? Be like Mike. So the world understands this, but yet we're always the last ones to figure out that we are all worshiping creatures. Now this applies to everything. When you worship your job, you do everything in your power to become like your boss. You do everything to become that rich person or that money. And even for parents, even when they worship their children, have you noticed at Little League games that the parents become like their children? We are all worshiping creatures, and we become what we worship. So that is why God says, worship 
me. It is best for the world if you worship me because more and more you will become like me, made in my image. We see that as the Israelites begin to worship the calf, that they themselves become like beasts. Exodus 32, 7 says, And the Lord said to Moses, Go down for your people whom you brought up out of the land of Egypt. They have corrupted themselves. And how have they corrupted themselves? Verse 9, they have become a stiff-necked people. Now, if you read the book, if you are able to read Hebrew, you would pick up that he is using adjectives usually um, for animals and placing upon the Israelites. Stiff-necked means a cow that is stubborn. Can't move, won't do what you say. Verse 24, it says, they broke loose like wild animals. And Moses had to go down and try to gather all of them. Eventually, Moses and the Levites would have to slaughter them. You see, these Israelites became like animals, became beasts. They became what they worshipped. So God knows that the best shot for humanity is that if they worship him, they will have a fighting shot of living in peace, security, and harmony with each other. That's why God says, worship me and only me. Do not become like others. I know you. I know how this world works. This world works towards me. So become like me. This is the plea of God. And this is why God gets so angry. When people stop worshiping God and they start pursuing their own pursuits, we find that people do not become better people. They become worse off. Yeah, one or two individuals will become maybe better. But as for a whole in our collective view of humanity, they will eventually become worse and worse. People always try to pin the religious wars of why we shouldn't become Christian or any religion whatsoever. Look at all those religious wars. Look at how many people died. But the truth of the matter is, atheism has probably been a lot worse. World War I and World War II had nothing to do with any religion. It was about the superiority of man and their toys. World War I and World War II saw the most casualties ever in the history of this world. Is it any coincidence that this is the time that people begin to move further and further away from God? So what can we do about our idle hearts? And I want us to be clear, it's not just people out there that are idolaters. You all are idolaters. I say this with conviction now because you won't hear it anywhere else. You are an idolater. You are an idolater. And not just you, I am too. And I want to give a fair chance. On the count of three, you guys in unison are going to say it back to me. You're going to say, you are an idolater. One, two, three. Yes. I am. I need to hear it as well. Because it's something that invades our hearts. And we can't get rid of it. And it is to the destruction of everything we love when we continue to worship these idols. So what do we do as idolaters? Now, in the evangelical circles, 
we have believed that we can create systems that will prevent us from worshiping idols. Things like pornography and drugs, we have created systems for them. And this is only half the story. Yes, we need to create accountability partners. We need to create different systems to ensure that we don't pursue any of those things. But there, are, there is one essential thing that we must do if we don't want to worship idols. And that one essential thing is found in verses 11 to 14. What is it? We see in verses 11 through 14, Moses begins to stand before God and intercede on behalf of the people. Here we see this amazing picture of Moses standing before the wrath of God and him praying to God and saying, Stop! Don't let your wrath fall on these people. And I want us to hear the prayer that Moses says. But before I talk about what Moses says, I want us to hear what he does not say. When Moses goes up, he does not say, God, the sin is not that bad. He doesn't try to justify it. He doesn't go up to God and say, God, come on, they are harmless. Please don't overreact. He doesn't say that. He doesn't go up to God and say, God, I promise they will do better. He doesn't say any of those things. And neither should we say any of those things. It's not simply, I'll do better. It's not, God, please. It's, is it really that bad? God, come on. Everyone struggles with this. No, Moses comes and understands that their sin is great. He understands where sin will take these people. It will not be a good place. When Moses goes up to God, he says, God, your reputation will be tarnished. This is amazing. Moses solely focuses on God and his great attributes. God, your name, your name will be blasphemed. And then what also does he say? He says, God, you promised. You promised that you would make these people a great nation. You can't destroy them. Remember that promise you made to Abraham centuries ago? Do you remember that promise? Turn your wrath away from God because of your word, because you promised that you would protect your people. And here is when God says, I won't do it. He relents. Now we'll see to go on that even though God relents and that even though God doesn't destroy the whole people, he does make sure that at least 3,000 people die for their sin. He makes sure that Moses carries out discipline and that blood needs to be shed because this is such a heinous sin and crime. So what we're left feeling at the end of chapter 32 is we begin to think the only way we have against these idols or the way we can beat these idols is if we have someone like Moses, but someone a little bit better than Moses. Because 3,000 is still a lot of people to die. What we realize is that Moses was a type of Christ, of who is to come. God hates our sin. He hates it when we worship idols. And when we worship idols, we do not know to the extent of what kind of sins that we can commit. They're heinous. And the wrath of God needs to be satisfied. 
And so what happens is that Jesus comes down and he bears the whole wrath of God on our behalf. Jesus becomes the perfect sacrifice to turn away the sin of our fathers and our sins. 1 John chapter 2, verse 1 says this, My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins. Propitiation meaning turning away the wrath of God. And not for our sins, but also for the sins of the whole world. What Jesus did is amazing. And so now we have a high priest up in heaven on the heavenly throne interceding on our behalf. And when we pray and when we repent, we can be assured that God will no longer be angry at us, but that he will love us because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. How do we prevent our hearts from idol worship? We believe in Jesus Christ. We pray to Jesus Christ. We put our hope, our life in his. We are powerless against these idols. I hope that's clear. You can't just become better. You can't just do 12 steps and cure yourself of these things. These things are sometimes beyond your power and beyond your strength. You need someone who's stronger, who can do these things on your behalf. You need Jesus Christ. Philippians 1, chapter 6 says this. That he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Jesus has started the work in you and will complete it in you. You see that we're not really involved in that process. Hebrews 8, 16 to 20 says this. For people swear by something greater than themselves. And in all their disputes, an oath is final for confirmation. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise, the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath. Brothers and sisters, the promise of God is that you will be glorified with Christ. That is his promise to you. And you can be assured that he will deliver you. Verse 19, we have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain, where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. So here's application right away. You may be struggling with loving your children. You may be struggling with drugs. You may be struggling with some sort of addiction. And sometimes the world will tell you is get better. Figure it out. Read more books. Learn about it. Before you do that, those things are not dumb or evil, but before you do that, go to Jesus. Pray. And when you pray, don't always ask for the strength. Just say, Jesus, you're powerful. Jesus, you're you promised that I wouldn't deal with these things. Release your power on me. 
help me with these things because I am weak and cannot do it by myself. Brothers and sisters, we have a great high priest who is interceding for us. It is the greatest news that we have ever heard because we can say that these sins that we have, they don't have to be a permanent fixture in our lives forever because Jesus promised that he will make us whole. Jesus promised that he will make us whole again. Put your trust in him. Hold on to him with everything you have so that one day we may be glorified. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you. We are weak. Our hearts are prone to worship these things. Father, we need you. We cannot do it. We cannot rid ourselves of these sins by simply trying harder or creating systems for us. Lord, we need the power of the Holy Spirit. The same power that rose Jesus from the dead, that is the power that we need. Kill, destroy all the idols in our heart so that we may worship only you. God, we thank you for the good news of Jesus Christ who has come for us. May we give you all the glory and power forever and ever. Amen.